Man, we have finished up an, an eight-session teaching on faith, talking about some of the misconceptions of faith, some of the things that people typically misunderstand about living in faith, and I enjoyed it. And I uh, heard Mark did a good job uh, last week. I got to listen to his Sunday school one, but I hadn't finished his Wednesday night one. But uh, what I heard on his Sunday school one, which I think was along the same lines, really I didn't know where we were going to go this week, and I was listening to, to it over the weekend. And this is an unusual subject for me, I'm just going to tell you. Uh, we're going to talk about developing godly relationships. And it really spawned off of his teachings on favor, and, and I was giving other people some scriptures about finding favor with God and with man, and, and this just really started stirring up. In me, and then Lindsay uh, text and said, "Hey, can you come do chapel at the Christian school when we start back up?" And I said, "Well, now I know one of the reasons God has me studying this because who you choose to be friends with, I I, I don't know how to put a bigger importance on it. I, I I think it even has, man, I hate to say as much influence as parents on children." But I've seen friendships with other people wipe out what good parents have taught their children. Okay, good. I'm on, I'm on key then. I mean, so I don't know how we can make it more important. And this doesn't just have to do with children. This is you and me. And we have the responsibility to develop godly relationships. So God said something really interesting in the beginning in Genesis 2. And verse 18, and I know most of the time when we refer to this, we're referring to it about marriage, but I still think it's a powerful statement in what he says. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, when I said it to John today, John looked at me and he said, but sometimes I like to be alone. Hey, Rusty will tell you, there's a lot of times I like to be alone. I, I like alone time, but my alone time only needs to last so long. Because if I'm alone too long and my, I'm not accountable and, and not in fellowship with other people, it's not good for me. It's not healthy for me. And I don't know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. God knew what he was talking about when he said, God, uh, man does not need to be alone. Man does not, just say this with me, I don't need to be alone. See, this is what I hear from people who've been hurt. And I've probably said it myself. I'm just better off alone. Yep. Say this with me. That's a, lie. that's a lie. I know that's a lie because that's not what God said. And, and it's a, a defensive mechanism that we have to separate ourselves from humans, from people. And I see the T-shirts, you like your dog better than you like people. And, and I get it, you know, because your dog can't talk back to you. He can't say things to you. Typically, a dog's not going to hurt your feelings. Cats, maybe. Dogs, probably not. You know, cats, can, they can make you feel rejected. But, you know, I get it. And, and it's just so tempting to walk away from relationships. And there are some that need walked away from. But we've got to have wisdom on how to develop godly relationships. I had someone ask me a couple of weeks ago, which probably also had this on my mind. 
She said, you seem to have really strong, lasting relationships. How did you develop that? I had to think. Okay, how did that happen? We're going to cover some of that in the weeks to come. Because I can look around this room, and y'all don't get me started. There's people in here that have known me pretty much since birth. And we're friends. And we've been through good together, and we've been through bad together. Uh, Janine and I went to high school together. It's been a day or two. Who was in youth group with me? Bridget? Just Br Bridget? <laughs> Janine, Bridget? Well, that's a long time ago. Bridget and I have an outstanding relationship. We're, we're, we're divine partners in prayer. And so when, when you get to looking at people that have been through life with you and they're still there, that's a good day. If you can't see that in your life, let's develop it. And let's look back next year and go, hey, this has been a year-long friendship. And let's celebrate and recognize that blessing as Mark taught the other day. In the, the um, Jewish Bible... The contemporary Jewish Bible. Genesis 2.18 reads this way. Adonai, God, said, It isn't good that the person should be alone. I will make for him a companion suitable for helping him. And what really jumped out at me about that verse today and what we're studying is God is willing to have a companion for you. He doesn't want you to be alone. That's why he talks so much about the family, the household of faith, about the body of Christ being connected, it being one spirit, one body. This is not just marriage. God does not want you to be alone. I realize that he's talking about Adam and Eve, husband and wife. But it's not good for you to be alone. The enemy loves isolation. We saw him pull it a couple of years ago. Tried to isolate human from human. We see it in technology. Look, you may have 10,000 friends on social media, but you don't have 10,000 friends. You don't. You got, you got 10,000 people that hit the button. But they're not 10,000 people that are going to be there when you have a bad day to encourage you, to pick you up, to keep you going. And you can't be there for them. You don't even know what's true. You don't even know if, they, if they're who they say they are. Are they really going through what they're... Don't go fund me somebody you don't know. You don't know what's true. And so the enemy loves isolation. He loves lonely. Lonely is not in the plan of God. That's in the plan of the enemy. He, the enemy despises divine connections. And that's what we're looking for. Divine connections. Because divine connections are helpful connections. And they're a win-win. It's not a manipulative relationship where one person's getting all the good. Godly divine connections, relationships, are win-win. It's a win-win for both parties not perfect, but healthy relationships. And I think sometimes that's when we cut people off is when they're not perfect. Well, you're just as well to move to an island. Because, you know, I, I have a best friend. 
And I hate to tell y'all, this Tanya's not perfect. And I don't want Tanya to let y'all in on the secret that I'm sure not perfect. But for 21 years, we have been walking partners in the mornings before work. We have worked together in the ministry. We've traveled together. We've been through life's ups and downs together. And praise God, we were able to overlook the human part of us as we grew spiritually as we we grew in the word and we still had to she has to overlook she's had to overlook a lot in the last time 10 years as stresses were heavy on me and and me not being quite as much fun maybe as I used to be but you know what divine connections have an anointing on them they really do we are we have the grace of God to minister to each other and to be there for each other. We have to choose it. Go with me to Ecclesiastes 4. Most of you have probably heard this passage. Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 4. I'll give you a minute to get there. It's not, not a book we turn to all the time. So, um, Good question, Billy. I, I did not put down what version I'm in. I may, well, I don't know. I don't want to guess. There is words in parentheses, which usually means amplified, but I don't, it doesn't really look like amplified to me. Uh, go down to verse 9. Two are better than one. Okay, is the word of God God-breathed, God-inspired? He just said two are better than one. You are not better off alone. I feel like God's speaking to somebody tonight that you've been thinking, I'm better off alone. No, you're just better off with a divine connection rather than an ungodly soul tie. And here's here's the deal. A lot of times we just look for somebody to connect to, not to be alone. And then it's worse. (laughs) But a divine connection... It is better off to have two than to have one because, the scripture says, they have a good, more satisfying reward for their labor. You know the easy way of saying that? Success is sweeter when you have somebody with you. The reward is better when you have somebody with you. When when, when you've made it through a tough time, and, and you get to celebrate with somebody. You have somebody there to, to celebrate with you. Or you have a joyous time and you have somebody to celebrate with you. Success is just sweeter is what that means. Verse 10 says, And if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe, he said. Woe to the one who is alone. Because when he falls, he doesn't have somebody to lift him up. When you have somebody with you, falls are not as devastating. They're not as long-lasting because you have somebody to help you back up. That's a good day. Then, let's see, again, verse 11, If two lie down together, then they have warmth. But how can one be warm alone? I put in my notes, life is not as cold when you have somebody with you. 
Even when you go through seasons that are difficult. Life is just not as cold when you have somebody with you. Verse 12. And though a man might prevail against him who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Overcoming is easier. And all involved in a divine connection are stronger because of that divine connection. You're not as easily broken when you're divinely connected. This is why we, we, we talk about getting your kids into preschool class and, and building relationships. And they move into children's church and they develop relationships. And they move into youth group and they develop relationships. You know, what we're doing is we're setting them up with divine connections. It's what you're doing. You're picking their friends to be people who are also in the house of God. Doesn't make them perfect, but it sure is a plus. That's a powerful passage of scripture. We are stronger when we're involved together. And you know, when, when you look at this, you can kind of tell, it's kind of a litmus test for relationships. You know, are you better? Are you better and stronger when you and this person are together? Are, are, are you better? Are you stronger? Do you lift each other up? When one falls, are you there for each other? You can look at this and you can say, hey, this is a healthy relationship if it fits this pattern of Ecclesiastes 4. It's a great way uh, to test a relationship because sometimes a new relationship is always exciting. Surely there's an amen in the house on that one. Amen. A new relationship is always exciting and then you start seeing the humanity of each other. Because we all kind of put our best foot forward at first. But divine connections, like I said, I, I believe there's an anointing on them. Uh, when you're there to lift each other up, when you're there to choose those things, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in friendship, it's important. In the account of David's friendship with Jonathan, and, and at some point we'll probably study that out and talk about the covenant of friendship, okay? We're not going to do that tonight, but talking about David, you know, the guy that killed Goliath, that guy. And his relationship with Saul, King Saul's son, Jonathan. An interesting word is used about their relationship. And it's the word knit. Like if you knit. Okay? K-N-I-T. And in 1 Samuel 18.1, we'll just pick this out. I'll give you time to get there. I'm sorry. I kind of sprung it on you, didn't I? 1 Samuel 18, King James Version. Billy, you're welcome. 1 Samuel 18.1. Man, there's some good stuff in this passage on further down. If you want to study it out this week, we'll probably try to cover some biblical examples uh, next week. But in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 18, it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. This was not a weird relationship. 
This is a godly, divine connection strategically placed together by God for the benefit of both parties. That's what I'm looking for. And so in the uh, complete Jewish Bible, it says Jonathan was inwardly drawn by David's character. Because I looked that word knit up, and I was like, okay, I mean, obviously I know what knit, interwoven, you know, means. But I really liked that from the complete Jewish Bible. It says Jonathan was inwardly drawn by David's character. So it's, it's not about someone giving me what I need, about them entertaining me, but there should be an inward draw by their character that is appealing to me. Another version said a bond was forged, and it caught my attention because our men's group is called Forged, and y'all are having breakfast on August 12th. Forged, the men's group. What are, you, what are they doing? They're doing this. Bringing men of like and precious faith together to bind together, to be knit together, to be forged together. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. And they're stronger because of the relationships. Not because they're perfect, but because they're not perfect and they need each other. And so a bond was forged between David and Jonathan. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That brings out another litmus test for us. He didn't, it wasn't about Jonathan. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. So it wasn't a one-sided relationship as far as Jonathan liked him because David took care of him or David did this or David did that. He loved him as his own soul. Godly friendships will uphold the great commandment. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Divine connections will uphold that. Love your neighbor as yourself and love God with everything you've got. And that's another test for our friendships. Ungodly soul ties are selfish. They're manipulative and they're abusive. Every single time. Manipulation. Selfish. And when I started thinking about that, my brain went back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've studied it so many times. Uh, out front and, and in here. About in the last of the last days the characteristics of society. I put it in my notes. You can turn there if you want to. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, out of the NIV, he says in verse 1, mark this. He's like, write this down is what, is what the scripture's saying. Take note of this. Make sure you know this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves write it down well they're just selfish well then it's an ungodly not divine connection they've got the characteristic of the world of the last days they're selfish not that you can't help people through things we'll, we'll talk about different strengths of relationships later because sometimes you're discipling people but right now I'm talking about divine connections where you're knit with somebody. Look, if I'm knit with somebody, I'm going where they're going. And they're going where I'm going. 
So we better be going in the right direction. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be boastful. They'll be proud. <coughs> They'll be abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents. They'll be ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. They'll be treacherous. They'll be rash. They'll be conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. What's the power? The power is the power to change. Denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Okay. This is what the world wants to tell us the scripture says. Be friends with everybody. Tolerate everything. Accept everything. Jesus was friends with sinners. Have you ever heard that? Friend of sinners. Let me tell you what Jesus was. He was the savior of sinners. Friends is a big word, and we need to learn that there's a difference in what it means. We'll, we'll talk about some of those words here in a minute. There, there's different versions of the word friend and, and different levels of friendship. This plainly says if a person is a lover of themselves, if, they have, if they're greedy, they're boastful, they're proud, they're abusive, they're disobedient to their parents, they're ungrateful, they're unholy, they're without love, they're unforgiving, they're slanderous, they're without self-control, they're brutal, they're not lovers of what's good, they're treacherous, they're rash, they're conceited, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. That doesn't mean... People who make mistakes while they're growing. Attitude of heart. Submission of heart to the word. People being corrected. That's a different ball game. This is those that deny the power. They deny the, they have a form of godliness, but they deny it, its power in their lives to change who they are and what they are and what they do. That's what it's talking about, have nothing to do with them. And that's a strong word. You can study it out. You'll see that that is a pretty close rendering of what it means. This brings up another great point. You can love people. You can help people. And yet keep them out of your inner circle of influence. That's what Jesus did. Yes, he met with the woman at the well. He loved her. He saw her heart. He helped her. He didn't take her home. He said, go and sin no more. He gave her what she needed. Gave her the words she needed. He forgave her. Gave her her dignity back. And said, go and sin no more. That's a, that's a lesson we all need to learn. Because a lot of times we end up in ungodly, I'm going to say soul ties, flesh ties. Because we want to help people and then we get knit together with their soul and their soul is not healthy. And then we're going with them. Somebody's got to go with somebody. 
They got to go with you and change, or you got to go with them and change. And, and we got to judge that. We, we have to judge that. So we can, we can love people. We can help people. We saw Jesus do it over and over again. He was perfect at it. He didn't just, he, but he didn't bring everybody home. And, but yet he influenced them. Here's a hard fact. Sometimes the word will separate you from people. Sometimes your growth in your relationship with God will separate you in relationships. I, I know that's not a popular statement in today's culture and the way, the way the culture sees Christianity, but it is a hard truth. In fact, Jesus said he didn't come to put everybody together. He came to separate. You don't, you don't find that on a plaque at Hobby Lobby. You, you, just, you just don't. But it's the truth it, sometimes the word will separate you. Sometimes your growth and your relationship with God will cause you to, I'm not saying be mean to the person. I'm saying put them in another rung of the friendship ladder. A little further out than the inner circle of influence. The people that you let your hair down around, you know what I mean by that? The people that you take your mask off with, the people that you bear your soul to better be a godly, divine connection. If not, they will exploit your weaknesses. I hope this isn't too hard. Amos 3.3 makes this little short statement, but yet it's so powerful. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two, and I thought about us, could we walk together every day, five, well, four days a week on a good week, if we didn't agree? You know, I have people who are acquaintances, even further out in the circle, friends, that totally disagree with me politically, that totally disagree with the way I see the word, anything that... Uh, that makes God's word absolute authority. <laughs> they disagree with me on. I love them. They love me. We see each other. We hug each other. We sincerely love each other. But because we do not agree, we do not walk together daily. Because can two walk together if they do not agree? Well, no. <coughs> it's not going to be healthy. Somebody's going to change. Mom taught a message years and years and years ago, and I thought I'd beat her to the punch because you know she's going to want the microphone here in a minute. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to beat Mom to this, so I put it in my notes. It was one of the most powerful messages I, I've ever heard her teach. It is so simple, but please get it. Friendships are spatial. Not special. Spatial. Friendships are spatial. It's almost hard to say because it sounds like I've got a speech <laughs> impediment. S-P-A-C-E, spatial. Friendships are spatial. And, and just because you don't have 
this place right next to me to walk with me every day and you don't know my every secret and everything that's going on in my life does not make you less special. It's just that's not your space. Just because your space might be a little further out doesn't mean you're less special. You, you, my relationship with you has its space. And it's an important space. It's just not Tanya's space. That's okay. Women, don't be territorial. Tanya can have more friends than me. They can't have my space. Right? I, I have a space with Tanya. I know my space. She goes on trips with Billy and Kim and Lisa. And, and you know what? I'm all in their business. You know, I want to see the pictures. I don't get mad because somebody else also has a space in my friend's world. Girls, we're bad about this. Jealous, friendship envy. You have a space. You have a space with the people around you, and that's your space. And it's good. You know, people get mad and they'll say, well, Pastor Susan spends time with Tanya or Pastor Susan spends time with, with Billy or Lisa or whoever. It, we're going to learn here in a minute. Jesus had a few spatial people. It's okay. Doesn't make you less special. Are we getting this? Don't have friendship envy. You, I mean, you could just say, you used to say, if there's more than two people, you're going to have trouble. Because the third person, they call the third wheel. You're not. You're just in a different space. It's just a different space, and it's good. There are going to be people that you disciple. There's going to be people that you follow. There's going to be people that you walk with daily in daily life. There's going to be, there's going to be people that you go to war with, and there's going to be people that go to war for you, that fight for you, that fight with you. For, on your behalf, you know, th there's different levels of relationship, and it's, it's all good. And if you're discipling some, somebody, it might not mean that you're, you're bringing them home. It might be that you're bringing them home. But we've got to be led by our spirit on, on how far to take this divine connection. Where does it belong in my life? What space does this relationship belong in? Because when we get things out of whack, we get them out of whack. If somebody get, gets hurt, most of the time two people get hurt, at least. There's seasonal relationships. There are relationships that are for a time. And they're special. They're special. I, I know some of you from the, from the, uh, the house, as I call it. Um, there's some of you I'm, I'm divinely connected to. Some of you I will be divinely connected to. We just haven't got to spend time together yet. They're not, most of them aren't going to stay here. And so, though I, I may see them 20 years later and my heart leap, and me, I mean, run, grab, hug them, hold them, it's so excited. It's like we never left each other's sight. That kind of feeling. It's seasonal. It's still special. 
but it's seasonal for such a time as this. And sometimes an anointing will come on you for certain people who are going through certain things, and then when you get them through it, sometimes that anointing leaves, and then they're still special, but that intensity of relationship changes once you get them through or once they get you through what, what's going on in your life. So seasonal friendships, don't get mad if it changes. God's got somebody for you. When I look back at my life and how God divinely had friendships in, in place for me from childhood, Every one of my best friends all the way through, though they didn't stay in that space forever, they have a very special space in my heart because they were divine. They were godly. They were a strength to me. And I believe that's what God wants for every one of us. He has somebody for you. And he has you for them. It's a, it's a God thing. There can be strategic friendships. I've seen it strategic friendships where you're in a war or they're in a war and God puts the two of you together, Jonathan and David, uh, Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Ruth and Naomi. We're going to talk about some of those. They were for a time and they were strategic for victory in, in people's lives and even in the lives of a nation. Not everybody's going to be your BFF. And that's okay. It's okay. It's okay for relationships to be seasonal. It, it's, it's healthy. Jesus. We mentioned it. Make sure I cover it before we run out of time. Jesus had the multitudes. Jesus, Jesus could... I don't know how he could do it. I... I think we're working on it. I think every minister works on it as of not seeing the crowd but seeing hearts. And if I call you by name when I'm ministering or I look at you eyeball to eyeball, I, I like to think, Cherie, of what Jesus must have been like when he had thousands of people in a crowd, yet he saw one. Oh, I want to be like that, don't you? And Joe Nay used to say this to me a lot. I know a lot of you don't know who Joe Nay is, but the ones that have been here a long time will. He used, he used to tell me, Susan, don't see faces, see hearts. Don't see faces, see hearts. And Jesus, though he had the multitude, he also had followers. People, people who followed him around that he saw on the daily. And then coming in even more, he had the appointed 70 that worked alongside him, who, who helped him in the ministry. And then coming in even closer, and you could probably add more rungs into this, he had the 12. He had the 12 that he revealed things to. He revealed things about himself to the 12. But then he had three. He had three, and it was his inner circle. It was a divine inner circle. He had Peter, James, and John. And it was such a tight trio, yet John always saw himself as the one that Jesus loved. And in the writings of John, you'll see him say it. 
He refers to himself in third person. The one that Jesus loved. That shows you what a great friend can do. Yes, Tanya has Kim, Lisa, Billy, Lindsay. We could go around the room. But I see myself as her friend. Jesus has millions of millions, yet he sees you. We got to learn friendship. We got to learn the art of friendship. The three. Can we spend just a minute there? In Mark 5, you don't have to turn there because I didn't even put the verse. In Mark 5, he's ministered to the woman with the issue of blood. And the ruler of the synagogue, remember, had come to him. His daughter was ill. And while he's ministering to the woman with the issue of blood, uh, the people come and they, they tell the dad, uh, the ruler of synagogue, don't bother Jesus. Your daughter's already dead. She died while all this was going on. So, you know, don't bother him any further. Jesus tells the dad not to fear, only believe. And then it says, he did not allow anyone to go with him to the girl's house except Peter, James, and John. Because he was going to raise her from the dead. He needed a very specific, strategic group. The other disciples may have gotten mad and sat back and said, why didn't he take us? What's this with Peter, James, and John? Why does he always take them and leave us here to handle the crowd? Why does He raised a girl from the dead. That's where our focus has to be. <laughs> you know, not that he didn't pick me to go with him, but he strategically picked an inner circle. And there's times when you're going through things where you may have to bring your inner circle down pretty tight. Because you're dealing with something, you're dealing with somebody, and, and there's a, the more people you have, the more drama you have. The more you have to deal with it. It gets, it gets more complicated. So a lot of times if you're on a, a specific mission, you're going to bring your inner circle in pretty tight. And when somebody else does that, we have to be okay with that, church. Whatever is good for them. Otherwise, we're being selfish. Whatever is good for them. And that's what we've got to go for. In Luke 9, once again, Jesus took these three... It's, I think it starts around verse 28. When he went up the mountain to pray, and when he had the whole experience of the, the vision with Moses and Elijah, he, had, he picked these three to have that experience with him. And one of the keys as to why he picked them, which I believe carries through all the examples where he picked them, is in verse 36. Somebody got that pulled up? Can you read it to me? Yeah, loud enough. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Confidentiality. Jesus had had this supernatural experience with Moses and Elijah. 
he looked at his three and he said, and one of the other uh, writers, I can't remember which gospel it's in, he tells them, tell no man what you just saw. The version Billy just read to us says that they kept it close. They didn't tell anybody. Confidentiality is crucial in close relationships. When people bear their soul to us, or we bear our soul to them, confidentiality is going to help you pick your inner circle. Who doesn't exploit what you're going through? It's a great test of friendship. Whew, how did it get to be this time of day? Um, go with me to Proverbs 18. 24 and let's finish with this verse because it'll take us a minute this I wanted to get into the words for friend before we leave tonight I'm going to read it to you out of the English standard version the ESV which is a really good version really close to uh, the original ESV if you've got a device Proverbs 18 verse 24 It reads totally different than the King James Version. And I looked it up in several different versions, NIV and different ones. Most of them said it this way, which tells me I've kind of been reading into it wrong. I think the truth is still there of what my brain said it meant. But all these versions, then what I could find uh, in the concordances, this lined up. So it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And a lot of the, some of the different commentaries that I read, well, Barnes' commentary said, it is not the multitude of friends that helps us. They may only perplex it. What we prize is the one whose love is stronger and purer even than the ties of kindred. Isn't that good? May read it again? It's not the multitude of friends that helps us. This is what made me think about social media. I have so many followers or I have so many friends. And I've had people tell me, you know, I've got so many followers on this or that or the other. And I'm just like, well, that's great. Because if you're ministering the word, that many people are reading your stuff or hearing what you're saying. But folks, we've got to understand the difference between friends and friends. There's different words for friends. And Barnes said, it's not the multitude of friends that helps us. They may only perplex. What we prize is the one whose love is stronger and purer even than the ties of kindred. And I think a great example of that is Jonathan and David. When we study it, Jonathan even went against his own father because his father was wrong to protect David in the covenant of friendship. We'll look at that maybe next week. There's a friend, it goes on to say, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now in the King James Version, it uses friend instead of companion, where I read it out of the ESV, a man of many companions. The, the King James Version uses the word friends. When you look up that first word friend in that verse, a man of many friends may come to ruin, 
That word friend is number 7453 if you look things up in the Strong's. Uh, and it means associates, companions, and acquaintances. A man of many acquaintances, a man of many associates, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend, it's a different word. It pays to look up words. We do that in the, in the Greek or the Hebrew concordance, depending on if it's Old or New Testament, okay? It's number 157. And it means a special attachment, devotion, to like someone, to desire to be in the presence of. This is a more intimate friendship. It's not just an acquaintance. This is a special attachment. I like that. A special, I like to, I like to say a divine attachment. There is a friend, a special attachment, someone that's devoted, someone who likes you, someone who desires to be in your presence that is closer than a brother, that sticks closer. I don't want to miss that word. That sticks, sticks, we stick. Come hell or high water, we stick. And there's been some hell and there's been some high water. <laughs> we stick. That word is important in lasting relationships. And I'm talking about divine connections. I'm not talking about somebody who, who challenges your sobriety or, or challenges your morality or tries to take you, who weakens your gospel. Okay? I'm talking about divine connections. We've got to stick together as the body of Christ, as divine connections within the body. We've got to stick. That word sticks, I mean, we know what it means. It means adheres to, is glued to. It even uses the word cemented to, who is joined to. There is a friend who is joined to you. There is a friend who is cemented to you, who adheres to you, who is glued to you. And they stick closer, closer. You ever had a friend that was closer than your family? That's a good day. That's a good day when you have that kind of friend. And I want to I challenge us, if we don't have that kind of friend, to become that kind of friend. The, the, the verse that we read from Proverbs 18.24 in the King James Version, it says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. That's how it reads out of the King James Version, and that's the way I was taught it. And so this really challenged me to study it out. I do believe that the truth is still there, that if you're going to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. I mean, that only makes sense. If you want to have friends and you show yourself unfriendly, good luck with that. Okay, so I get it. But it also, when you, when you study that out in, in some of the Bible commentaries, it means if you... It's almost like how we, the prodigal son was probably real popular when he had all the money and he was out partying. But then when the money was gone, he found himself alone eating the pig's food. And it says no man would help him. Where'd they go? They're gone. They're there for the action, but they're not there for the commitment. And the blessing of friendship bears with it a responsibility. She's responsible for me. 
I realize Rusty ultimately is responsible for. I'm talking about friendship. And there is friendship in marriage, okay? But there's also friends outside of marriage of the same gender. I'm responsible for her. Karen's responsible for Marilyn. What a dynamic duo. Marilyn is responsible for Karen. We're responsible to each other. Mr. Frank, I'm responsible for you. Man, what a responsibility. I tell him every now and then, you got to calm down and quit watching the news. You know why I tell him that? Because I'm responsible for his blood pressure. I try to keep him calm in the political realm. You know, when you're friends, you're responsible. John's responsible to the, to the people on staff, and the staff is responsible to the people on staff. We bear an accountability to each other and a responsibility in friendship. And that's some of the things we'll talk about next week, maybe when we get into the covenant of friendship that David and Jonathan had and how deep that goes. I have had so much fun studying this, I can't even tell you. I've already got started on next week's notes. So that's always good to be ahead. But uh, I think we need it in our culture. I think it's one of the greatest witnessing tools you can have is when you see people. And when, no matter where they are in the spacing of your life, can they still feel seen even if they're not in the inner circle? Yeah, it's important. It's what we're learning. Amen?